0: Forget. Come with us and don't no, no, up the movie you need! Hello and welcome to Movie Oubliette, a cross-hemisphere podcast with me, Conrad, in Cambridge, UK. And I'm Dan, down here in Melbourne, Australia. In each episode, we delve into our dungeon of forgotten films and pull out a gem to review and discuss together. And at the end, we'll decide whether it deserves to be released into the wild, to be appreciated once more, or whether it should just be tossed back into the oblivion of our oubliette. We'll mainly be looking at fantastic cinema, so horror, science fiction and fantasy films because they're just the ones
1: that float our
0: boat, I guess.
1: Uh, Dan, how is your boat floating right now? Oh, it's it's floating, floating just fine. I'm struggling a little bit with uh, jet lag because I have, in actual fact, been on holiday for a month in Europe. Mm. I attended uh, my sister's wedding in Italy and ate all the delicious food and also we went to Spain and soaked up the sun on the beach in Spain Barcelona Uh, but it all just seems like a distant memory now but now I'm back yes and you know what that means what does that mean It means we can respond to our listeners, all their questions and comments.
0: Yes, because we don't want to burst everyone's bubble. But actually, the first six episodes we pre-recorded in advance. So it's not that we're incredibly rude and don't answer people. (laughs) It's just that I've been releasing them while Dan suns himself in tropical (laughs) climates,
1: which isn't fair, I don't think. But there we go. Oh, well.
0: So what do we have in our mailbox?
1: Bag. uh so hang on let's have a look let's have a look here i had a comment from uh, a listener called amy and she said that she i think she sings along to our theme song mm. uh every time on every episode and but instead of saying movie oubliette, she says movie boobliette and <laughs> has a bit of a laugh <laughs> Oh maybe we should
0: change it. <laughs> <laughs> we could. We could indeed. Seeing as nobody seems to know what what Oubliette actually is, which was a slight miscalculation on our part. Mm. So what 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 is an oubliette, Conrad? <laughs> what is an oubliette? So an oubliette is a form of prison cell that's accessible only from a hatch or a hole in a high ceiling. And the reason that I came across the term Oubliette because it's in the film Labyrinth. Uh, where Hoggle, I love Hoggle, describes it as a place that you put people to forget about them. Mm. So that's where Oubliette comes from. And quite a a few people having fun pronouncing it too, because I was tweeting at uh, the Super Horror Brothers, who have a fantastic podcast where they review horror films and keep abreast of the news in the horror world, because they were having their 100th episode and they wanted questions. And I asked them, uh, which Halloween film we should cover in our Halloween episode which one did they think is the most overlooked and underappreciated. And they've picked one for us. Mm -hmm. They've suggested that we look at Halloween H2O, which will be interesting in the context of the reboot, remake, that's coming along this year. Mm, Yeah. Which is sort of a remake of H2O in a way. I don't know.
1: I was always under the impression that all the sequels were terrible. So I've only actually (laughs) seen the first and second of the Halloweens um, and none of the other ones. So I'd I'd be really interested to check out H20.
0: Yeah, I think that'll be fun. But yes, bless them, the Super Horror Brothers, when they talked about us, they referred to us as Movie oblet or Movie oob. Oblet, yeah something like mm. that <clears throat> we were rhyming with omelet anyway which uh, mm. yeah so
1: movie omelet it's my favorite breakfast uh item it, it, I it often, is, yeah i often choose it at uh, yeah at the cafes <laughs>
0: it's tasty and nutritious yes and full yes. of cheese <laughs> <laughs> lashings of processed 80s cheese yeah yeah <laughs>
1: I would also like to thank uh, the people involved with designing our logo. Mm. So we have Andrew Baglia who did the background design, and mm. uh, even Heisman who did uh, the character design. Yes, and Kirk Olmsted
0: helped us out early on with with concepts too, which was really great.
1: Mm. And and the logo looks looks fabulous uh i don't think we we'd even had the logo finished by the time we recorded the sixth episode. so sorry for not mentioning you guys <laughs> <laughs> no, no we didn't it's true and we've also had fun
0: i've had fun creating animated videos of segments of the show and putting them on youtube so check us out on youtube because uh yes you can see our our evan's fantastic character designs Come to life. Mm, and, and they
1: look so much more attractive than, than my real life face. Um, I'm a lot slimmer. I've got a cooler haircut. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, Evan really did paint us in a very, very nice light. So thank mm, you for that. Thank you. Okay. So Dan, what are you
1: pulling out of the oubliette for us to dissect today? Well, one moment while I go and fish it out. Marvellous. So there's something wrong with the uh, electrics in this room at the moment, it's a lot of flickering lights. Oh, oh, hang on. My torch has stopped working. (laughs) Alright, I think I've found it. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Wow. i now. Right. So the film we'll be discussing this episode is a film from 2009, and it's called Pandorum. Mm. So it's directed by Christian Alvart, and it's written by Travis Malloy. Uh, it's starring Dennis Quaid, uh, Ben Foster. Uh, mm. who, ben Foster? I only know from Six Feet Under. Uh, I don't know whether you oh. watched that that show, but mm. he was in that. I
0: didn't know.
1: Great show, by the way. Uh, mm. Also starring Cam Gigandet.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Gonna, how you say that.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna butcher these following names: so, um, mm. Antje ja, Troy, Kang Lee, Eddie Rouse, and Norman Reedus.
0: Yeah, Norman Reedus is in there. Good old Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead makes a brief appearance.
1: Mm, yes, I I don't I don't watch Walking Dead, so I. Didn't know who that was. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I watched it for a full series and then got very, very bored. <laughs> mm, yeah, I've heard uh, mixed mixed reviews about that show, but it's, mm. it's still going, so people must love it.
0: Yes, and Daryl was always
1: good, so Norman being in this is, is quite fun. Mm, mm. Uh, Dennis Quaid, I normally despise. <laughs> I think really? He, I don't know. I think he plays the same character every time. He... he for me, he's always been kind of the oh. poor man's Kevin, Kevin Costner. Um, and <laughs> I don't oh, know. see, I
0: often see him referred to as the poor man's Harrison Ford, which is a fairly oh. good comparison because Harrison Ford is always Harrison Ford in every movie <laughs> <laughs> he's in. I love Dennis. I think he's okay. great. I, think, I, love, I don't know. He's been in a lot of films, some of them which we may find in the Oubliette actually. So Dreamscape, uh-huh. Enemy Mine, Inner Space, Dragonheart. Mm. And one of my personal favourites, Frequency, which which I find a bit tear-jerking, actually. I love that Frequency
1: movie. wasn't too bad, actually. I did enjoy mm. that film. It was a very interesting concept. Yeah, I thought so. So uh, the plot of this film is your kind of usual sci-fi beginning. Everyone wakes up from hypersleep mm. on a space station going to colonise a, a new planet because the resources from Earth have... Diminished Mm. And so the main uh, Two leads uh, Dennis Quaid's character Which he's called Peyton And Ben Foster's character Bauer uh, Wake up from hypersleep And they have amnesia They don't know what's going on The space station seems to be on the fritz There's no electricity (laughs) (laughs) They can't open any doors (laughs) They're trapped in this room And Ben Foster manages to Get out of the room through a vent and he proceeds to find out what's going on. The main aim is to go get to the reactor mm. to jumpstart the ship. But along the way, he, he encounters a bunch of, I guess they're almost like zombies, almost alien zombie <laughs> humanoid creatures, um, as well as other uh, crew members of the ship. That hmm. seem to know what's going on And it, it turns into a f- survival of a fittest With many sharpened blades And <laughs> a lot of <laughs> quick cuts and shaky cam He meets some crew members that help him along the way As he reaches the reactor And then a bajillion twists at the end <laughs> um, Which we will talk about so There are a few twists <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's pretty much the plot So we'll we'll be right back to talk about it in the main discussion. Can't wait. So we are back to discuss Pandorum. Yes. Conrad, thoughts. Well, isn't this a great
0: example of noughties? Is that what we call the 2000s? Mm-hmm. Noughties sci-fi movie making. Um sure was. It sure was. I, I mean, I have a particular fondness for people exploring derelict spacecraft. Mm. So Alien, um, even 2010, the sequel to 2001, where they're exploring the Discovery mm. Event Horizon, Horizon, which is a very interesting comparison to make because, of course, the director of Event Horizon's Paul W.S. Anderson, Mm -hmm. who is also a producer on on this particular film. Mm -hmm. It's the same production team. Yeah. So it's the sort of film that should push my buttons and get me excited and intrigued about the mysteries of what's the situation. And having two characters wake up with amnesia Mm -hmm. just add some extra spice i guess yeah and it also leads to i mean the first thing i thought when the movie started was well if nobody can remember who they are there are going to be some twists here mm. and i think we should say there are some twists <laughs> there, are, there are
1: there are two i mean there are there are a lot of twists but there are two big <laughs> big major twists uh towards the end so I think we will get into more detail towards the end of this podcast uh, and we'll talk about the other things first.
0: Yeah. We, we'll give you a spoiler warning before we, we ruin the end of the
1: movie for you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I really liked the mystery of this film. I thought I was just constantly trying to guess what was going on and what was happening and yeah, trying to put the pieces together and, and work it out. Um. Yeah, I thought I, I liked it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you you on, on the other hand?
0: Well, I think the problem, the major problem that I struggled with is just how much it feels like they took elements from lots of really, really great original movies, dumped them in a blender, hit the power switch, and then just turned the lighting down and hope that you wouldn't notice. I don't know. It's so reminiscent of so many films. I mean, obviously, Mm. the the shadow of Alien looms large over every science fiction film Mm. made in its wake. And I think you've got a biomechanical ship that seems to be a living, breathing thing. The director talked about how he wanted it to be a character in the movie. Mm -hmm. You have the the monster design. They are these, I think the the technical term is troglofauna. Uh Uh-huh. which is uh, creatures who have adapted to living in darkness. So they're these pale, muscular humanoids who are largely naked but have fashioned themselves a few strips of clothing that that cover the most embarrassing parts that a stuntman would probably not want (laughs) dangling around (laughs) while they're doing battle. Um, But they also seem to have fashioned these tube-like protuberances that stick out of their back so their silhouette is very much like um, Giga's Alien hmm. from Alien so there's sort of a cross between Alien and the the albino monsters in Neil Marshall's film The Descent from 2005.
1: I did think they were very similar. Yeah. They kind of reminded me of, of the Reavers as well from um, Serenity.
0: Oh that's an interesting
1: comparison mm. um, I mean essentially they were they were just fast zombies really mm. um, And there were a few dated things from the, the noughties The The whole fast forward everything You know <laughs> <laughs> Let's get these creatures looking scarier Just by fast forwarding the, the footage And having a lot of shrieking Yeah <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, see, that, and that's something that I had trouble with as well, which is that I love the, the inventiveness that James Cameron brought to Aliens in terms of how he filmed the Aliens themselves, because he knew, I think he says in the making of, that as humans who have grown up watching other humans move, it only takes a few frames of film before we recognise a human figure, mm. because the movements and the, the configuration of a human body is just so ingrained in us that we, mm. we identified immediately so a man in a suit just looks like a man in a suit mm-hmm. so he's filming them backwards he's under cranking them he's over cranking them mm. they're upside down the camera's upside down he's doing everything he can to disguise what they are and actually it works really well in aliens mm. i think what i don't like is what looks like instead of planned ingenuity like that it looks like post-production tinkering because you look at the footage and you think actually this looks shit Mm. (laughs) this doesn't look scary at all so I'm just going to cut out every other frame or like slow motion that's stop printed that's another thing that I really hate which is where they print double frames for every frame and so you just get this jerky slow motion and to oh, me that's okay. you didn't plan on the day this isn't the way it was supposed to be you've just realized that something isn't clear and isn't reading on screen so you've you've done something in post production it just it all of that sort of thing just feels like tinkering to try to make the film work because the footage you've got just doesn't and i have
1: less respect for that hmm i think it did rely a lot on post and I think the the main problem with this movie is that it suffered budget wise. Mm. Like there were there were moments with some of the CGI where it really didn't look at all convincing, Mm. and other like a lot of the fight choreography was just (laughs) she had no idea what was going on. There was a foot going here, and then just flickering lights, and then a thousand cuts a second. Yeah, it was obviously not really. Choreographed, mm. it's almost as if they just shot a bunch of vague fight scenes and thought, Hey, we'll just cut it all together and it will hopefully look like they're having some sort of a tussle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was quite confusing at moments what was actually happening mm. and who was getting stabbed or eaten or whatever. Um, and yeah, it did, it did suffer a lot from that. It did. And
0: especially when, I mean, we've talked about this before when we were talking about um, Willow, the Lean sequence with how beautifully mm. those action scenes are mounted and and how you know who where everybody is in relation to everybody else and exactly what's happening. And various uh, simultaneous pieces of action are set up and then paid off. And it's so satisfying to watch. Mm. And I just saw the new Mission Impossible film yesterday,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and it, the action scenes in that are just incredible because, again, you can see where everybody is in relation to everyone and mm. you can see who's punching whom and what's happening and things lead up to a climax and there are peaks and troughs. And and then you watch Pandorum and it's just flash, 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 flash. Mm, yeah. Don't know what happened, but it was exciting. <laughs>
1: A lot of very, very dark scenes mm. where you could barely even make out anything. The lighting was, I don't know, some of the scenes were pretty cool with the lighting. I, I liked some of the corridor scenes. It, it looked the kind of light at the end of the tunnel mm. um, and silhouettes. Uh, I thought that was quite cool. But yeah, some of the other scenes was it's very hard to make out what was going on, and it did undermine some of the jumps as well because
0: there's a sequence where Bowers has finally escaped the claustrophobic tunnel that he's pushing his way mm. through, and the first person he encounters is Nadia.
1: Mm. Yes, she's apparently uh, her. Those the three survivors that he meets up with, um, their names are never actually mentioned at all. No, in the movie, which is kind of so. interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well I guess maybe it wouldn't come up but I don't know but yes she's supposed to be, she's German she was a geneticist and she has survived on her wits again this is just so reminiscent of aliens though isn't it mm. because the first person they meet in the colony when they're investigating that is, is Newt and she survived in tunnels in, in rags mm. through her wits and ingenuity It's so it's very familiar but he's chasing her because she's running off uh, as newt does mm. and then he sees i think he sees a silhouette in a corridor and he's talking to it and then he discovers it's a body that's hanging from the ceiling mm. but actually i had to turn up the brightness on my tv uh-huh. to see what it was that he was talking to the whole jump didn't work
1: because i couldn't mm. see anything it's too dark yeah yeah it was too dark and and the jump kind of it was unexpected because you didn't really know what to expect. No. You were just kind of look, looking into blackness, yeah, um, and then just yeah, the jump scare just it came out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, he apparently the film was so dark that he had to sign a special technical waiver because when it comes back from the lab, if more than a certain percentage of the frame is black, <laughs> yeah, for a long period they get you to sign a waiver to say
1: this isn't a flaw. Right. This was intended. It's not the lab's fault, it's mine. Mm. So this this film was a a German production. So the director's German, most of the cast apart from the leads uh were German as well. Ah. Except Kung Lee, so the the Vietnamese character uh who played his character was Man? Man. Yeah. Yeah so he he I looked him up here he was actually like a he's like an MMA fighter so he he's very very highly trained in martial arts, but they really didn't use him. No. <laughs> Which is like, the, like. I suppose credit
0: to the film, he is supposed to be a farmer. Yeah, so I guess so. The fact that he's not a kickboxing champion is probably good. I guess so. Because <laughs> it could so. be a racial stereotype, perhaps, if.
1: Yeah, that's
0: true. The, the only, only Asian, Asian knows martial, martial arts, arts and can kick ass. Although he does do a reasonably yeah. good job with
1: a staff. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. Uh, I also found it quite funny that, I don't know, this, this seems to be a, a thing with sci-fi movies where there are people surviving um, through the elements. They always seem to cut off their sleeves. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Just to show their big musty arms, I guess. But um, yeah, everyone's got cut off sleeves and cut off trousers. I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah and everyone emerges from hypersleep naked except for something that covers their genitals and they have mm. perfect muscle tone
1: mm. That's the <laughs> thing that's always bothered me with uh, when sci-fi moves the characters waking up from hypersleep. They mm. they shouldn't they have hair down to their ankles? Shouldn't they have big bushy beards?
0: I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but maybe in this case they they didn't do too bad a job because Dennis Quaid and Ben Foster have beards, mm. if I remember right. Yeah, then. they did, and I seem to remember that Ben Foster has long fingernails when they have a close up of his oh, fingers. I didn't I didn't notice that, bad
1: yeah there's one there's one really cool scene that's kind of not really <laughs> related to the story but when he's shaving he's using this laser shaver <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's, it shoots out this laser beam that give them a perfect shave every time it does i want one of those (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) (laughs) they're great he didn't seem to be
0: uh suffering with any kind of rash afterwards so
1: no no not at all
0: although it was a pretty magical razor because he only got halfway through when he was interrupted by something and then in the next shot when he investigates the thing he was interrupted by it's finished Oh So he doesn't spend the rest of the movie with half a beard Which I would have really enjoyed <laughs> That
1: would have been great um, I also felt very, really sorry for uh, Ben Foster's character So, uh, What was his name? Bauer mm-hmm. uh, Because he kept falling Just yeah. constantly falling Just the f- <laughs> floors giving way Or him falling down a shaft Or he really got beat up
0: <laughs> just <Yeah>. by gravity. <laughs> he does not have a good time. And meanwhile, Dennis Quaid just sits in a control room saying, Bauer, do you read? Bauer, do you read? And that's, <clears> that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got a cushy job, I think.
1: Now it's time for Random
0: Trivia. Okay, so now it's one of my favourite parts of the podcast. It's where Dan thrills us with a piece of completely random trivia. Dan what have you got for us this time?
1: Right, so I've got two bits of trivia. Uh, so Ben Foster, the actor, there's a scene where he eats a bug, a cricket. Oh yes. So uh, one of the one of the other characters <laughs> says, "Are you hungry?" And he says yes, and then she hands him a cricket. Mm. And he proceeds to put it in his mouth and crunch on it. And apparently Ben Foster insisted on eating a real live insect, <laughs> not a not a dead one, not a, a fake one, a real one. So that's a that's a real delicious mm. crunchy cricket he's uh, munching on. He's method. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly is. Another uh, bit of trivia was uh, there's one of the child... Creatures, um, humanoid creatures Mm. that ends up killing the Vietnamese character is played by Asia Luna Momand Mm. and she is the daughter of the director. Ooh. Christian Alvart.
0: So he said to his daughter, your big break in movies is going to be playing a pasty, semi-naked monster that murders Vietnamese people. Yes.
1: Great. I know. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Probably a very proud father. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> I, I think, so glamorous. <laughs> I think she uh, ends up in a lot of his movies. I looked at her her filmography and i think ah. she ends up in a lot of his later films as well
0: and not the only relative to appear in the film i remember oh yes yes did you not know this uh ben foster's brother is in the movie
1: oh yes john
0: foster he has a brief appearance do you remember there's a guy that wakes up in his cryo sleep hypersleep yeah. tube and gets out only to be immediately eaten by <laughs> lots of
1: hunters well that yeah i was <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> confronting scene um out of all the scenes I was actually pretty shocked by that. I, my jaw was agape. Yes, I
0: can't imagine a worse way of waking up. No.
1: <laughs> getting eaten and getting stabbed through through the top of your head with a spear is it's not my idea of a, a refreshing <laughs> morning. <laughs>
0: and that is how Ben Foster decided to treat his brother. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yes indeed so yes that's our trivia moment yeah
1: so what what did you think of the score uh so the score is by a
0: guy named and i'm not sure how to pronounce this is it mitchell or is it michael it's m-i-c-h-l yeah i'm not i wasn't sure Mickle maybe. <laughs> when you have I,
1: two consonants together, I give up.
0: <laughs> I struggle, yeah. I think it might be a uh, Britsch, B-R-I-T-S-C-H. And I have not seen anything else, heard anything else by him. And to be honest, I found it very generic. It's the sort of sound design stroke, generic, rhythmic, churning mess that i'm sort of accustomed to in in modern filmmaking Mm. and i just find it fairly distracting most of the time but often it just sort of blends into the background as this musical well not even musical just sound wallpaper Mm.
1: uh yeah i felt like it was too ubiquitous it was just always present Mm. and it got to the point where it lost its impact I don't think there was any moments at all where there wasn't score. There was just constant score just churning away. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just, the, the tense scenes just didn't really have as much power as they could have had. No. And, and and I do agree, very, very generic. No no musical themes that I could even pick out. No. No, no recurring motifs or anything. It was a whole bunch of swells of brass and, Electronic glitches and percussion,
0: <laughs> wailing voices as well. Sometimes as well. So, yeah. And at, whenever you use music in that way, as you say, ubiquitous, just was wallpaper slathered over the sound design from from start to finish. I always feel as though it shows a lack of confidence. Mm. In your film, that you feel as though you've got to just slap this stuff on to make it more exciting or, or more engaging mm. or feel as though something's happening. Whereas huge swathes of silence would actually have
1: served this film well, I oh, think. So well. Mm. Uh, Because I find silence Mm. much more tense than like sustained strings or, Mm. um, you know, ominous tones Mm. because you really don't know what's going to happen. No.
0: and I mean, sometimes you get used to the rhythm of it. So um, some horror films I notice that you've got the the music sort of, if the composer is on the scene sort of making suspenseful music, then you know nothing is going to happen. And then as soon as the orchestra dies out, you brace yourself Mm. for the stinger because you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. so actually I really admire composers who break that rhythm and surprise you Yeah, like even halfway through a measure all of a sudden you will get a sting and and I think that's quite cunning mm. but in this it was, it's just a, a wash and it's almost in some cases like he lent on a synthesizer and <laughs> let the tones run out for five minutes while he ate a sandwich or something mm. I think composers <laughs> call that a working lunch <laughs> Christian Henson used that phrase mm, okay. <laughs> When he was working on the score to the Alien Isolation game He used to have quote-unquote working lunches Where he would just sort of hold three keys down right. <laughs> um,
1: Also, the color grade, I noticed Was the generic sci-fi amber-teal color grade <laughs> where, where everything was either yellow or All blue, blue. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also the glow sticks were just lighting effects, really, because they they were often different colours as well. There was a yellow glow stick, there was a there was a green one, there was a red one. <laughs> like surely they shouldn't be different colours.
0: Well, supposedly um the director says that the colouring of the different scenes meant something. Hmm. But he says he said that on the commentary, but then he didn't explain exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah, very dark movie Mm -hmm. with lots of very obvious colour grading.
1: So what did you think of the plot itself?
0: I guess you could give it props for being sort of ahead of its time. I mean, how many films had there been at this point where Earth was a disaster and we were all going to have to get onto a ship and colonise somewhere else? Because there have been a lot since then. So I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. Alien, Covenant and Passengers as well. So I guess it's ahead of its time in that sense. I'm trying to give it some some props here because so much of the rest of it is so derivative Mm. of other things. So I've mentioned the aliens comparison. I think the ever-present threat of the titular deep space nervous condition, Pandorum, Mm -hmm. See, I thought that was going to be the name of the ship, but it's not. It's a combination of paranoia and delirium, I think. So it's the idea is that if you're in space for a long time, you go crazy, mm-hmm. basically. And it sort of plays like the nervous disease that befells Michael Bean's character in the abyss. Which is from 1989. So even starting with handshaking and developing into full
1: on homicidal (laughs) rampages. There was the same thing happened in Event Horizon, right? With Sam Neill's character. Yes. he goes crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: to be honest, in terms of the plot, I struggled to track what was actually going on. I mean, I understood that Bauer was being sent to sort of kickstart the engine because mm-hmm. if you wake up and all the lights are flickering, then obviously <laughs> you, you need to put another dime in the meter or something. <laughs> <laughs> Something's not right. And the the revelations that follow after that mm. are we allowed to talk about these yet?
1: Hey listeners, Dan here. So this is a forewarning to the following spoilers that we will be discussing. So if you don't want the entire film ruined and spoiled for you, please fast forward to the 41.11 mark. Thanks very much. Back to the show. <laughs> okay, so, okay, well, some, some minor spoilers. So the alien humanoid creatures, it turns out, they are the people from the ship, so the crew members, so all the humans on the ship, when they're in hypersleep, they're fed this gene accelerator that mutates their, their genes so they adapt to the new hmm. environment of being in space. And I guess eventually when they reach the planet, or adapt to their planet as well. Uh, so it turns out that these creatures are actually humans that had been mutating. And it also turned out that this is, this is another spoiler so the two characters, Bao and Peyton, wake up thinking they'd only been asleep for eight years, but in fact they'd been asleep for nine hundred years. <laughs> and in that nine hundred years, the humans had evolved quite significantly to be these savage beasts. And yeah. I I don't know, I kinda liked <laughs> I kinda liked that twist because it's something I'd never really seen before. What
0: the whole you've been in hypersleep for much longer than you think you have. Because that's Ripley's experience in Aliens. Although it doesn't really serve much purpose there.
1: Yeah, but I mean, also the fact that the creatures end up being just humans that had, had evolved or mutated. Yeah, I guess I can't remember seeing something like that before. Mm. I, I also felt that they revealed it too early. Well, <laughs> I, I felt they could have... Yeah, I, I felt that they could have revealed it a bit later so mm. it would have been a bit of more of a shock than just go, oh, they just... Humans. Yeah,
0: I suppose there are so many twists in this movie. <laughs> if you, I mean, it, there are a few twists that happen so close together towards the end that I kind of threw my hands up and thought, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if you'd had... Um, oh, they're not aliens, they're human beings as well I think it would have been a lot to take on in the last
1: It would have been like so many minutes. twists Yeah, I guess Some so Twist upon um, twist upon twist So, shall we shall we go into major spoilers now?
0: Okay, so, spoilerific time Okay The people who woke up and couldn't remember who they were One of them isn't the person that they thought they were mm. uh, There's a shocker so,
1: <laughs> so, Bauer finds out about what happened to the ship So Mm. what happened were there were three pilots, I guess, or three in charge, Mm. and one of them goes completely crazy, uh, gets gets the Pandorum crazy and, and kills the two other pilots and then, Sabotages the ship And then goes into hypersleep
0: He sort of experiences Some sort of existential breakdown Loses faith in the mission And then tells everybody To go off into the bowels of the ship And become cannibals Hmm.
1: Bauer finds out about this And then we cut back to Dennis Quaid's character um, Peyton And then a guy somehow Slithers into the room (laughs) (laughs) Through these pipes So Peyton, you know gives him a gives him a, a wash and a, and some clothes and this guy uh, turns out to be Galo, and he and he starts spouting all this stuff and you think oh this guy he's, he's he's got the pandora maybe maybe this guy was one of the uh the pilots that had killed off the rest of the crew and you think oh no this guy's the the evil guy but then it turns out that Peyton is just hallucinating and Peyton is actually Gallo. Gallo. Yeah. And they are the same person. And he he injects a sedative into himself (laughs) that does nothing. (laughs) No, which was odd, wasn't it? Because the whole point of that fight that he
0: was having with Gallo Cam Gigandet. I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeah. He was in the Twilight movies, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So they have a big fight because Peyton wants to inject Gallo and subdue him, but he ends up just injecting himself Mm. because he's the only one there and it doesn't affect him anyway.
1: Yeah. The (laughs) the sedative seems to sedate the original um, (laughs) Peyton character, but doesn't sedate the Gallo character and he becomes... He's full-blown evil. Yep. And then so when Bauer finally kickstarts the reactor and the ships bursts back into life and he goes back to the control room where Dennis Quaid is and Dennis Quaid goes full-on crazy on him. And then... Okay, massive spoilers now. So <laughs> this was... The oddest scene was when... Boward decides to shoot some wiring or whatever with, with this hugely powerful stun gun that is obviously not going to stun anyone. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to kill everyone. <laughs> um, he shoots the control panel and the, the, the control panel cover flicks off and hits the window of the ship and then... That's enough to crack the window and then water comes in. Oh yeah, huge spoiler. They're not in space. <laughs> They're in water. <laughs> yeah. So they they open up the windows and they and they say, Oh, where are the stars gone? And then they see a whole bunch of glowing fish <laughs> and they've never been in space this whole time. They've they've actually landed on the planet that they were going to, which is called Tarnas. Yes. So for what nine hundred years they'd been on the planet. If someone had just opened up a window, they would have (laughs) figured that out. (laughs) But no no one opens up a
0: window. Well, this is the thing because they did, because I think the reason, isn't it the reason that Gallo went crazy is because he looked out of the window and he couldn't see any stars. So he decided that there was nothing out there and it's this Lovecraftian Ah. fear of the void. Ah, it's that one. Yeah, I think he's supposed to have gone crazy because he thinks they've reached the edge of space and they're staring into Ah. the void and the void stared back at him and he went great. I don't know. But you would have thought that in all that time... Somebody would have noticed fish (laughs) going by. It's not like 800 years
1: later Hmm. when Nadia suddenly goes, oh, look, a jellyfish. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, surely there's more than one window on the spaceship. Surely. You would hope. (laughs) Like, surely every room has a little, you know, little peephole. See, you know, where you're going But no, <laughs> everyone just likes darkness yeah, Apparently, darkness and tubes Right I also found, okay, so he breaks the window Water bursts into the spaceship um, The spaceship goes into auto, like, dispel mode And shoots out all the, the tubes of hypersleep human beings and, and then they land on this planet that doesn't look like a real planet Mm. whatsoever. I don't know why they couldn't just film something on earth and just (laughs) chucked a a couple of different stars and or moons and (laughs) in the horizon because it it just looked, I don't know the most unconvincing CGI planet you've ever seen. Yep. (laughs) Where they live happily ever after. There was supposed to be a sequel. I think there was supposed to be a trilogy apparently. Yeah. So, uh, but because this movie just flopped, um, it just never eventuated, but there, there's there's a, apparently a cult following for this movie, and there's there's been a huge petition signed for for the sequel, but nothing nothing has happened. Yeah, there's a
0: whole Facebook group, and I might give a shout out to them when we uh, launch this episode. Um, because there are people that really enjoyed this movie that it's got quite the cult following and there are people that would like a director's cut and they'd Mm. like a sequel Mm -hmm. and they'd like a prequel so you can see how it all happened and uh, it's but it's difficult because the film cost 33 million dollars and made 20.6 so it's going to be very difficult for them to justify that i think Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards.
1: So it's that time. This is our very special segment, the Moobly Awards, where we nominate our favourite things in a bunch of curious categories. And we always started off with our favourite quote. And over to you, Conrad.
0: Yeah, I had trouble with this, to be honest, because I didn't think much of the dialogue was particularly memorable. Mm. It wasn't bad. Yeah. But nothing
1: really leapt out at me
0: as memorable. What about you?
1: Yes, I would 100% agree. Nothing bad, nothing iconic. And Mm. I felt like some of the more powerful speeches that were delivered by the characters were over top of either quite um, erratic editing and sound design (laughs) or uh, a lot of quick cuts so that you didn't really hear the words. (laughs) Mm. So yeah, that's what I thought anyway. Yeah,
0: I mean, I even tried looking at the IMDB page for memorable quotes and the things they had there weren't particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on to our next category, which is our most naughties
1: moment, shall we call it? Mm-hmm. It's funny because we've done, I think, exclusively 80s movies. Mm. <laughs> um, and then we've just jumped forward two decades to the noughties. Uh, so the most naughties moment in this movie, I think, will be uh, the quick cuts and the shaky cam for sure. Mm. But also the the fast forwarded footage of uh, mm. the the creatures when they're chasing them. You can you can tell it's just it's just been fast forwarded, and that was very very prevalent in the naughties, especially with all those Japanese uh, remake horror movies, where everything is. Jerky and erratic, <laughs> and I guess to make it unnerving, but it got a bit too much after a while when every horror film was doing exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah. I think this is a time when the, the shift from analog editing to digital editing, I think it was everything had pretty much switched over at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody had their favourite digital editing tools and by golly, they were going to use them (laughs) wherever they could. (laughs) Just keep pressing the button. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the same could be said of the colour grading. I think digital colour grading was such a new and exciting tool in the noughties. Mm. And boy, did they overuse it in this movie. You've got Mm. primary coloured scenes from from one sequence to the next but of course ever present was the sci-fi blue mm. and orange.
1: Yep. There there are many many scenes where it was so obvious almost as if one side of the frame was yellow and the other side <laughs> yeah. was just entirely blue. And I mean I get it looks good but I guess because we're aware of that popular color grade it, it gets a bit like tiresome. Overused and yes,
0: tiresome. So best hair, I don't think anyone had particularly remarkable hair in this.
1: Hm mm, No, not not anything iconic, I guess there was one character, Leland um, mm. who is the guy that traps the characters and proceeds to tie them up and get them ready to be eaten. <laughs> um, so he's got I guess more 90s hair. Um, he's got dreadlocks,
0: yeah, I guess so. Everybody else like it's just remarkable how great their hair is, considering they've either been in cryo sleep for years mm. or they've been trying to survive on scraps in mm-hmm. a dark spaceship for years, <laughs> yes. with pasty bald hunters trying to eat them. Yes, um, for sure. and besides that, they seem to be salon ready. I mean they look great
1: mm? uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: At least a little better than you might expect. Mm, That's
1: true, that's true. Favourite scene? Favourite scene. There was one scene uh, where they were being chased by the creatures. So Bauer has escaped into this big cargo um, storage room Mm. and he has got the Nadia character as well as the, the Man character, the Vietnamese guy, and they're getting attacked by that one creature, and they're they're having a really hard time um, overpowering him. And eventually, they they do overpower him. It's and it's it's just a very visceral scene. There's a lot of uh, there are a lot of shaky cam and quick cuts, but um, you really feel for the characters because they're completely getting annihilated by this creature <laughs> and then they finally manage to get the upper hand and i found that i don't know i i did find that a really a really powerful scene okay um
0: i think the standout sequence for me was the the reactor sequence where bauer covers himself with is it
1: skin? Yeah. I, He's disguising I, I, himself. I thought it was skin, but I mean, I... I, I so, so the creatures are eating humans like they're oranges, you know, peeling like the <laughs> skin away, throwing it on the ground, eating all the good parts. Yeah, we're like potatoes. You just
0: leave mm. the skin. So actually, the skin's the good part. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, It's where it, all the protein is. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, he has to crawl over... I don't know, are they sleeping or...? Yeah, I think think
1: they're sleeping.
0: Okay. so the reactor is where they all like to congregate on the floor in this sort of mass of pale, oozing, sweaty bodies. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, uh, there's a reactor in the middle and he has to sort of crawl over all of these nasty hunters to jumpstart the reactor and kick the ship into gear and save Mm. the day. And I actually thought from all of the frenetic, ridiculous darkness that we had before that, that a quiet moment of suspense was quite fun. So. Mm. And then, of course, it all explodes into craziness after that. So that was mm. quite satisfying.
1: You've also got the uh, the man character up above him, trying to hold this entire platform with one arm. <laughs> um, <laughs> well. Well, Wild Bauer slowly and cautiously crawls over these these creatures. Yeah, which I'm not sure physics
0: would really work in that situation. But well,
1: I don't know. Hey, these
0: farmers—they're tough.
1: Yeah, farmers are tough, and it has been a few years that they've been on the ship. So yeah, push-ups. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's been
1: just doing pull-ups
0: the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, uh, most cliched horror moment. What do you think is particularly cliched in this movie?
1: Uh, I would probably say um, the the sound design of the creatures. Just a lot of screeching and yeah. a, a lot of clicking. That clicking sound that aliens and monsters always seem to make from the 90s onwards.
0: Yes, I would agree. And actually, it's quite reminiscent of Predator. It's, mm. it's, well, certainly, that was the thing that it reminded me of. Um, that and Norman Reedus covering himself with oil to disguise himself from the monsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why that works better than skin, but <laughs> actually it didn't, did it? Because Norman didn't get very far, bless him. No, not at all. Uh, but yes,
1: the, the predator noises and the, the...
0: What is it? Is it pigs or something? Those screeching noises they always use?
1: I don't know. I, I, I assume it's just... An, an old woman just screeching in a room <laughs> <laughs> well I know in Lord of the
0: Rings the, the Wraiths is Peter Jackson's wife isn't it it
1: is yeah don't underestimate the power of a woman screaming <laughs> for sound design <laughs>
0: did you have a favourite special effect
1: um so my favourite special effect was the creature design themselves so um mm. I saw some behind-the-scenes footage of the movie, and it was all prosthetics, so no CGI in terms of the creatures. Everything was prosthetics and makeup effects, and I think they did really well. I mean, I guess they weren't hugely original in design, but they were very effective, and I did definitely feel the menace and uh, the terror that they exuded.
0: Yeah, they were threatening, and uh, but they were still plausible as... An evolution of mankind. Mm. I thought, you know, that that's the thing that because it's Stan Winston's studio, and they always try to design characters, not monsters. Mm. So they try to think about the story and try to create something that is plausible in the context of the story and works really well for the scenes that the the director's thinking of so and i I think they did a great job again it's not a ridiculous implausible monster it's Mm. actually something that's sort of creepy because it's realistic i suppose in in a sense
1: Mm, i do agree because the the main i guess king uh, of the creatures did have a sense of humanity to him like you could Mm. see it in his eyes he wasn't just a all-out, vicious animal. Mm. And also the, the fact that when he um, confronts uh, the man character and they have a duel, you know, he, he throws him a spear so they, <laughs> they can have a fair fight. Um, so, you know, there were, there's still some humanity left in those creatures and it was conveyed well through the prosthetics. Yeah,
0: yeah. Quite sad that, that Stan Winston passed away during the production. I think that was the one mm. they were working on. When sadly we lost Mr. Winston. Moving on to your specialist area, sound effects. Did you have a favourite sound effect?
1: I mean, I guess most cliché sound <laughs> were the creatures and they were very prominent throughout the film. So, uh, I mean, everything else was good. Like, there wasn't anything that was standout. You've got your usual, um, when you open cryosleep tube, there's always a... <laughs> Um, sound Which uh, you, you, You've you come to expect um, yeah. You've you've got You've got your Years of BO escaping <laughs> <laughs> Exactly Just a, a fart That's been building up In the tube It's finally been released um, And you've got You've got your ship sounds That sound like uh, You know Bending metal And yeah, I don't know. Nothing nothing stand out.
0: No, I didn't think so. I thought it was perfectly fine. Nothing stood out as particularly egregious. Mm. There were no Wilhelms, I noticed. That's very true. <laughs> so, bonus points for not having a Wilhelm. <laughs> Do we want to give a star rating for fake blood? Um, it's quite a bloody movie.
1: I mean there there is actually a decent amount of blood. I mean, uh, it's mainly the the characters that only seem to appear for ten seconds. Um, <laughs> you've got you've got Ben Foster's brother that wakes up from cry asleep and there's a decent amount of blood there, and there's Norman Reedus' character. I think he gets dragged off and viciously mauled, and <laughs> Yeah, and when when they're also attacking the creatures, there's a decent amount of blood. Mm. Uh, the creatures seem to have very dark blood; it's almost black.
0: Yeah, but the the human blood isn't the naughty's brown mush that you usually get in these films. I thought it was actually yeah pretty good for fake blood and no CGI blood. Exactly. I don't yeah. think.
1: I mean, that's one thing I really um, admired about the film. The what I mean, apart from the uh, external shots of the space station and the planets and uh, certain other scenes, everything was practical. Mm. Uh, all the sets were practical, uh, all the prosthetics and the fake blood were all practical effects. I think it really made the film uh, more convincing in, in that respect.
0: Yeah, they created a, a world that you could buy into, I think. It was very... Um Hmm. And so funniest scene, because, of course, Dan, you're famous for finding the most appalling scenes hilarious. (laughs) Which appalling scene did you find hilarious in this movie?
1: Um, So I would say the funniest scene, and I think you also agree, was uh, the emergence of the Galo character (laughs) into the the room that um, the Dennis Quaid character, Peyton is... Situated, so Mm. the yeah, the gala character emerges through a whole bunch of rubber tubing and he gets (laughs) burst into the room all covered in in (laughs) an oily slime. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I actually the the sound design for that was ridiculous because it's all slurpy, (laughs) it's like, what is going on? And then, behold, a naked man.
0: Never a bad thing to happen to you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Naked true. man slithers into the room. <laughs> I think for me, I did laugh a little bit when the king of the hunters mm. threw Man his spear so that they could have a fair fight. I mean, again, it's very reminiscent of Predator. Yes. I don't know. It just seems like, why don't you just kill him and eat him? Mm. Uh, It it didn't seem to me that they they had an honor system, particularly when they were devouring humans and leaving aside our potato skins.
1: Oh, yes, yes. I mean, there's one scene as well where after the three crew members uh, managed to kill one of the creatures and they're running away, Then the other creatures just start devouring their fallen brethren. Um, In terms of honour, I think that's that's pretty low. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I think that will be
0: our Moobly Awards. Yes. Right, we're back and it's final verdict time. Should we rescue this film? Should we release it from the hypersleep of Oubliette to frolic on the planet of Tannis? (laughs) Or should we hurl it back in there for another 800 years while the cannibals tap on the screen and wait to get inside to
1: the delicious treat that awaits them. (laughs) That's the most creative introduction to the final verdict I think we've ever heard. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Sorry. I was engaged (laughs) for sure. Okay.
0: Well, so Dan, what
1: what is your final verdict? I mean, you'd seen the movie before. Mm. Yeah, so I'd seen Pandora uh, a few years ago and I do have to admit, it seemed better then than it did now, but mm-hmm. I still enjoy it. Uh, I think it delves into the the horror sci-fi genre in a good way, and although it doesn't do a huge amount of uh, new and original things, I still think it does what it does well. Yeah, I agree. There are there are problems with the lighting, uh, very. A lot of very dark scenes where you can't see anything, and and some of the plot was very out there, uh, especially the the twists at the end. But um, I was I was engaged, and I felt like the mystery really hooked you in, and you were constantly trying to guess what was going on and what was happening. Yeah, what did you think, Conrad? Well, I had
0: problems with how derivative it was. I felt as though it's a B movie. It's in a particular genre and it just... But rather than do something that I really love in those Bean Boo movies, which is take a an original nugget of a concept, even if some of the execution is familiar, there's a central nugget of an idea that's really interesting. But with this one, I just felt as though... Lots of pieces from other films had just been dumped into a blender and turned on and then this thing was spewed out. I mean, there there are obvious references to Event Horizon, obviously The Descent as well, The Abyss, Alien, Aliens, Predator. It just feels very derivative for me. There are lots of things about it that I like. I like the fact that there is an international cast, Mm -hmm. one of the central... Cast members speaks a foreign language throughout and is never subtitled, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Yeah. There's, a ne- there's an inclusivity to this um, survival tale. It's not just white, beautiful 20-somethings, mm-hmm. which... I appreciated. I think there's a lot of ingenuity in the way they pulled off the film. I mean, particularly the production design, although it's borrowing heavily from the worn-down biomechanical worlds of, of Alien and Aliens. He did manage to get, the director and the production designer, managed to get a lot out of their 12 sets and just constantly repurpose them to get the 40 or 50 locations wow. that you see throughout the film. So, you know, there's a lot of ingenuity there. But the action choreography, the way that the effectiveness of the monsters was entirely achieved in post-production with tinkering rather than ingenuity on the set, for me, it just makes it not particularly remarkable. I don't think it's a bad movie. I tend to like things that are either that have an element that's really unique and interesting. So you really enjoy them or they're so bad that it's hilarious to watch them because they're terrible. Mm, And for this, it's just kind of in the middle.
1: Yeah. There's nothing terrible about it. I would say it's a step above the middle. Like I I feel like there, there is... A good movie in there mm. there's just a lot of things in the way preventing it to be a good movie yeah so some of the lighting and um, some of the editing with the quick cuts and the shaky cam I agree the production design was amazing that they achieved so much with with such limited resources and I did feel like I was in this space station world it I felt like we were going places. I didn't Mm. feel... It felt like it was kind of gearing towards something. Mm. I thought the kind of more claustrophobic scenes um, when Bauer is escaping out of the control room were really effective Mm. in terms of just feeling very enclosed Obviously, some lighting issues. <laughs> it did feel really tense in those moments. And then when it got to the point where he, he was getting chased by the creatures with the erratic editing, then it got a little bit too much and you didn't really know what was going on or you couldn't really see what was happening. Mm. I'd also like to mention that this is uh, the director Christian Alvart's third film. I'm sure his first film was very, very low budget. And his second film, Antibodies, uh, I think... Got him this gig Mm. I feel like maybe he's still Inexperienced, he's still Finding his feet as a director And and trying to figure out things. I believe this is his first sci-fi horror film as well, so maybe it was a genre he wasn't very accustomed to. He's a director I'm I'm definitely going to look out for in the future and any films that I see his name on, I will check out for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like this movie tried and for the most part, didn't succeed, but I I think it's in going in the right direction. So what
0: are we what are we going to do then? Because I think we might be at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what we do with it.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess this is that time where we we can't decide, and I would want this film to be released. I think, in all honesty,
0: I couldn't recommend it to somebody. I uh, I think for me if I just wanted to watch a B sci-fi movie maybe I might put it on but I don't think I would watch it again so I don't think there's anything remarkable mm. about it so I would toss it back into obscurity <laughs> so so this has never happened before in this podcast but we are going to have to toss the coin of fate the coin of fate ooh mm. <laughs> Yes, so you pick heads or tails? Which one would you go for? Uh, I will go for heads. Okay, so heads, it escapes the oubliette. Tails, it gets tossed back in. Ooh. Here it goes. Here
1: it goes.
0: Ooh.
1: <gasps> yes, it's heads. It's heads. Oh, no. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I'm doing this for Pandorum and all of the crew and cast involved. <laughs> I feel like. I'm representing their team. You think they deserve to live. (laughs) I do. To go forth. They can live their life on on another planet. Marvellous. Be gone, Pandora. Oh, look at them go. (laughs) Disappointing result from my perspective, but uh, there we go. So, Conrad, what will we be looking at next episode?
0: Well, we're plunging back in the decades now and instead of 80s dipping our toes into the 70s ah. with a science fiction
1: conspiracy thriller called Capricorn 1. Wow. Mm. I haven't Actually, seen this movie, and uh, prior to meeting you, uh, I'd never even heard of this film. Ah, well, it's it's one
0: of my favorites, mainly because well, I know it through Jerry Goldsmith, ah. who wrote the score, ah. and, and it's one of his really vicious action scores. That he's well known for, so that's how I came to find it exciting. Yes, so post Watergate sci-fi conspiracy thriller with James Brolin, Sam Waterston, and O.J. Simpson. What? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I did not know he delved into acting.
0: <laughs> he did, yeah. I mean, he's mostly known in the acting field for being in the Naked Gun movies, but he is in this. I. I think this might have been his first screen appearance. So wow. we have that to look forward to. And another thing we have to look forward to is that we will be joined... By a guest for the first time on this podcast. What? Yes. I didn't
1: know this. No, I didn't know this. <laughs> my, yes. my, my, my future replacement, I, I assume.
0: Yes, I thought I'd better start auditioning people for
1: when you go on holiday <laughs>
0: and sun yourself in Italy for weeks on end.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do that every second week, but you know, yeah. <laughs> this podcast is so lucrative. <laughs>
0: Yes, so we'll have a guest. So tune in next time to find out who that is.
1: Also, because we'll have a third person, they may have the winning vote for the outcome of the film. So no coin of fate next week for sure. (laughs) Thanks
0: for joining us for another episode of Movie Oubliette. Please follow us on our social channels, Twitter, Instagram. All of our socials are under the tag Movie Oubliette. And if you're not sure how to spell Oubliette, it is...
1: O-U-B-L-I-E-G-G-B. And let's hear that again. O-U-B-L-I-E-G-G-B.
0: No episode would be complete without two plays. Of that terrible jingle.
1: <laughs> I do know that some of our listeners uh, really enjoy that segment, so <laughs> we'll keep doing it. <laughs> Marvellous. Tell us what you thought about
0: the final outcome, what happened with this film, whether you agreed with the outcome. <laughs> the outcome of tossing a tossing. coin. <laughs> it's a fine-tuned critical tool, tossing a coin. <laughs> So hashtag Team Conrad, hashtag Team Dan. Mm. (laughs) Who who are you with? And also, don't forget to rate and review us on whichever platform you're listening to us on because it really helps us out. Mm. More reviews and ratings, please. Yes. I hope you join us again in the dungeon for Movie Oubliette. I'm Conrad. And I'm Dan. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. View the films, others tend to forget Come with us and don't no, no, up the movie, you be at.
1: Bala, do you copy? Bala, do you copy? Bala, do you read? Bala, do you copy?
0: Bala, do you read?